Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. Through the years, these studies have looked at the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, John, and Hebrews. At times, we will have studies devoted to Jewish cultural events or issues relating to Israel and prophecy. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. This information will be repeated at the end of the podcast. Enjoy the Bible study. I would have uh, tried to have been here last week to talk about Purim, uh, having to do with the book of Esther and the feast that was uh, declared as a result of Haman's plot to annihilate the Jewish people. Uh, one thing that I want to mention, this is just something that I thought of. Last Friday was not only what they call Shushan Purim, okay, where all of the rest of the world other than Israel celebrates Purim. Last Friday, but it was also Good Friday. Remember Christ on the cross. Purim. Does anybody know what Purim means in Hebrew? Purim is lots, because they were casting lots to see what they were going to destroy the Jews on. Okay, um, And I was thinking about another set of lots that was cast on that same, on Good Friday, you know, for Christ's garments. Um, interesting. Anyway, okay. I got into a rabbit trail before I even started. That's not very good. Okay, John chapter 1. I love the book of John. Uh, it's just so amazing. We're just barely even scratching the surface with the verses that we have gone over already. Otherwise, we'd be here for a very long time. Uh, we've seen in verses 1 through 4, or actually, we've gone all the way up to verse number 18, but we've seen the doctrine of Christ's preexistence. We've seen his deity. We've seen that he is the creator. We've seen that he is the life and light of men and that John the Baptist was his witness-bearer. Now that one aspect we're going to focus in on tonight as we go in verses 19, uh, really through verse 23. And we've also seen that Jesus gives power to become the sons of God and that he is full of grace and truth. We've looked at all those different things. If you are thinking, huh, that's really interesting. I'm so sad that I missed it. We have it archived on our, on our website in the live video archives, okay? Um, it's by date, so you won't know exactly when it was that I did the previous three, but they're on there uh, if you looked. But that's what we've talked about so far. And we pick it up in verse number 19. Now let's, let's, let's back it up to verse 17 just to kind of get some, some running ground here. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, 
the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Remember when uh, Philip was talking to Jesus and he says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, how is it that you've been so long with me and you say, show us the Father? He says, he that has seen me has seen the Father. The Bible also says that in him, in Jesus, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We also know that Jesus is the express image of his person. Jesus is, the invisible God became visible in Jesus Christ when he took on flesh. And we pick it up in verse 19, and we start to look at the record of John, which it's kind of silly. I guess it's, you know, a faux pas. You're not supposed to do this, but I only have one point, <laughs> one main point, and that is this is the record of John, okay, that we're going to look at. And then we're going to go on what I like to call a sanctified rabbit trail. Um, as I was studying this, I felt like the Lord wanted me to go in a certain direction. So don't flip the page yet, but when you do, you'll find out where the Lord wanted me to go with that. Uh, all right, so verse 19. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Okay, now this is John the Baptist. This is not John the Apostle, John the Disciple, John the author of the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist, okay? This is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? So there's this commotion going on um, because Jesus is on the scene, okay? People have heard of him and people have heard about what John is doing. And we see a more detailed picture of that, Lord willing, in the next study that we have. Um, what John was doing baptizing beyond Jordan, okay? Um, but there was such a commotion and such a curiosity from the Jewish people, from the religious crowd, from those in the temple, that they actually sent priests and Levites. Interesting, we just talked about that in the prayer request time, okay? The Kohanim, the actual priest and the Levites, they sent them to John for one reason, from Jerusalem to ask John, who in the world are you? What is this that you're doing, okay? In verse 20, and he confessed, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, today we have so many religious leaders that would just clamor at the chance to be asked, are you that prophet? You know, are you the Christ? There's so many today that if they were put in John's shoes, they would have been like, yeah, that's me. I'm the one. I mean, there's so many false prophets in this world today and have gone on in days past, years past, uh, that John kind of stands out against those as true and godly and right and he, he's ordained of God to be in this position and so he says no I'm not the Christ I'm not the Mashiach okay Anilo Mashiach he would say and they asked him what then art thou Elijah and he saith I am not art thou that prophet and he answered no all right so these three verses 19 20 and 21 we have this discussion, okay, about these things that John was asked by the priest and the Levites. And I hope that we don't, you know, nod off because some of this, you know, talking about John the Baptist, it's not as exciting as talking about the deity of Christ or Christ being the creator. But there's some really interesting things here. And so I pray that we will glean from it uh, what the Lord would have us to. I have some quotes here um, taken from John Gill's commentary, and I thought that they were very fitting to summarize what's being said here. Okay, the first point is, are you Elijah? Who, who, who are you? Oh, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah. Are, are you Elijah? 
okay? And they're just grilling John, asking him who he is and what he's doing. Now, how many of you are familiar with the ritual having to do with Passover, with having a seat, an empty seat for Elijah, okay? There is an empty seat for Elijah, and there is a cup for Elijah, okay, that's actually filled. And even at near the end of the service, okay, somebody goes and checks and opens the door to see if Elijah is there. There's a specific reason for that, because the Jews understood way back then, and they understand now, that Elijah was to be the forerunner of the Messiah, okay? Listen to this, okay, and, uh, and I'm just going to read it. They ask him, are you Elijah? And he says, no, okay? That is, he was not Elijah the prophet that lived in Ahab's time and was called the Tishbite. For John's answer is to the intention of their question and their own meaning in it. This is in no contradiction to what Christ says of him, that he was the Elias that was to come, for he was the person meant by him in Malachi 4.5. Okay, and I have these verses down here below. Though not in the sense the Jews understood it, nor is it any contradiction to what the angels said to Zacharias, for he does not say that John should come in the body, but in the power and, and spirit of Elias or Elijah. Okay? John the Baptist was not literally Elijah risen from the dead, Elijah in the flesh, Elijah the Tishbite from you know, the days of Ahab. That's what it's saying here. But for the intent of the prophecy of Malachi, for the intent of the prophecy given to John's father, Zacharias, that John would be in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what does Jesus say? And I'll skip ahead here. Uh, actually, it's the next thing that's written down. Quoted there for you, Matthew 11, 13 and 14. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, okay, if you can handle this, Jesus is saying, this is Elias, which was for to come. Okay? And there's another passage where it says, uh, that Elijah did come already, and they've done to him whatsoever they wanted to. They basically decapitated John. That's what Jesus is referring to. He's saying they did with him whatever they wanted to. He, he has come already. And it, was, it says, in case they didn't understand, he spake to them of John the Baptist. It's made crystal clear for us. Not to mention the prophecy uh, given to Zacharias by the angels. Listen to this, Malachi 4.5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's one of the very last verses of our Old Testament. Now, in the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament ends with Second Chronicles. Okay, But one of the last verses of prophecy in the Jewish Bible is, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so this is what they have to go on. This is why they believe that he would be the one that was the forerunner of the Messiah, the one to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. Now, in John saying to the Levites and the priests, are you Elijah? No, I am not. He's doing it to, like it says here, reply to their specific intent. Are you Elijah? Are you literally Elijah? He says no, okay? He's not literally Elijah. He is John, the son of Zacharias, okay? But he has come in the power and spirit of Elijah, and he fulfills what is mentioned of Elijah in Malachi 4.5. Um, Luke 1.17. And he shall go before him. This is the prophecy given to John's father. And he shall go before him in the 
spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. What the angel told Zacharias about John was almost word for word what is written in Malachi chapter 4. Yes? Some people have speculated who the two witnesses are. Okay, we don't know um, in Scripture. But um, from what I read in the Bible, the idea of, and you'll have to ask Mark, um, but from what I understand it, it's referring to his first coming. In the fact that Jesus said he did come already, and they went ahead and you know did whatever they wanted to with him. And he spoke to them of John the Baptist and his death. So, um, in reference to Elijah being the forerunner of the Messiah, that, according to the New Testament scriptures, was completely and totally fulfilled in John, as I understand it. So, any other questions or comments or discussion? Yes. Yep, and some people say Moses and Elijah. Some people say Enoch. Some, you know, it's just... Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's just speculation there of, of who it could possibly be. So, but we can't say emphatically. Yes? Mm-hmm. Well, what's, what's interesting is in Old Testament uh, prophecy, when you see the day of the Lord so often mentioned, um, like for instance, that prophecy in, in Joel, okay, about men dreaming dreams and, and, and different things happening, that's spoken of by Peter as partially fulfilled on the day of Pentecost, even though it's referring to the great and terrible day of the Lord. And there's all kinds of other judgments that go right along with the tribulation period uh, and the second coming of Christ, but it was partially fulfilled before that. And so when when people would look at, in the Old Testament times, the idea of the day of the Lord, they would see it as one coming, okay? And that's one of the big stumbling blocks talking to Jewish people. Um, when I talk to Jewish people about Jesus being the Messiah, they say, well, if he was the Messiah, then you look at the prophecies, the you know, things mentioned in Isaiah referring to the millennial kingdom, okay? The messianic kingdom. And they say, if Jesus was the Messiah, then the earth would be altogether a different place, you know? And so they're taking all of the references, complete and total, of the day of the Lord, uh, you know, the day of judgment, the great and terrible day of God, our God, uh, including all messianic reference, and it's all lumped together in one specific instance. Whereas we know now that there's like two hills, okay, and there's a valley in between that wasn't seen back then. All they saw was this, you know. And from our perspective, after seeing Christ come, and hearing the prophecies about his return when these other things will be fulfilled, we realize we have this huge gap of time in between that they did not see back then. So that's how I see it anyway. Absolutely. Good questions. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, then I'm in good company. <laughs> yep, I just listened to one of his uh, messages today. Um, Anyway, okay. So 
as far as I understand it. Yeah, so I, I, I may be incorrect there, but that's how I understand it. Okay. Really? Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I'm not aware. I know that, like, like, like Mark, um, you know, just today he made the comment, and I agree with him. There's a lot of things about John MacArthur that are just great, but there's other things that I don't line up with him on exactly, and neither does Mark. So, you know, but uh, anyway, so that's that's John MacArthur. Um, so let's move on to this next question here, okay? So that we can uh, get through the the questions that they asked. They said, are you the prophet? Now the reason I title it that way, are you the prophet, is that's what it literally translates into in Greek. Okay? Um, I heard some people say, I know just enough Greek and Hebrew to be dangerous. Okay, I am not a scholar by any means. But I know enough to be able to look it up and where it says, are you the prophet? And it's the word for the. Now, some people say it could literally be understood as, are you a prophet? Um, but that's kind of like looking at the words, are you the prophet, and changing the word the to a. It might depend on what manuscript they're looking at. But um, anyway, they came to him, all right, in verse number 21, and they say, art, art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. What prophet is he talking about? Well, Jeremiah, whom some of the Jews have thought to be the prophet Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18.15, uh, expected that he would appear about the time of the Messiah. Um, and here's the verses, Deuteronomy 18.15, that refer to the prophet that I believe the Levites and the priests are asking John if he is. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. And then in verse 18 it says this, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now that verse, okay, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Peter and Stephen both quote this verse, applying it to Jesus, okay, in the book of Acts. We also find Philip doing the same thing in uh, verse 45 of this very chapter, John chapter 1. Okay, John chapter 1, skip over to verse 45, get a sneak preview here. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now there's different things in Moses. Uh, the books of Moses, that have to do with Jesus being the Messiah, but the primary one that was understood in that day was this idea of a prophet that is coming. And like I said, that both Peter and Stephen validate as this is Jesus that is being mentioned. And John is saying, no, I am not that prophet. Okay, I am not that one that is spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so he's refusing these different things that they are basically almost feeding to him these different thoughts. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? And he's saying no, no, and no. 
John the Baptist, we always see him pointing away from himself and pointing to Christ. You know, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. And so many different occasions, he had the opportunity to be lifted up, and yet he didn't. He even said, you know, I'm not unworthy to untie his shoes, basically. Or I'm not worthy. That was a double negative, wasn't it? But, um, you know, we can learn some amazing things looking at John the Baptist. Um, I have a whole message about John the Baptist, and I'm tempted, you know, trying not to <laughs> go into that. Um, but just an amazing, amazing man of God. Uh, listen to this. Matthew 11, Jesus says that John was more than a prophet. Okay, Jesus' own words. Uh, he says that John was greater than a prophet, more than a prophet. So we find, you know that there's a proverb, it's either a proverb or a psalm that says, you know, let not thine own words praise thee, but, you know, another man, okay? John is never tooting his own horn. Ever, ever, ever. Um, he's always pointing to Christ, and I just find that so amazing. Um, you know, such a great, humble man of God. Uh, and yet he let the people have it, didn't he? You know? Uh, didn't he say, Oh, you generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? All they did was come to his baptism and were like, What's going on? We're curious. And he yells at them and calls them vipers and says, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, a fiery preacher. Um, and yet, at the same exact time, he is so desiring not to be in the limelight and to show Christ to anybody and everybody that comes along. Uh, amazing. Okay. Um, I'm going to read these next two verses, 22 and 23, and then we'll move on uh, after we have an opportunity for discussion or questions. Verse 22, it says this. Then said they unto him, who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? They said, we're not going to be going back empty-handed, are we? We've got to find out who you are. We need an answer to them that told us to come. What sayest thou of thyself? And listen to this. This is really neat. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. So, turn to Isaiah. thought we'd get away from it for a while, but I guess we're going back. Isaiah chapter 40. I'm probably going to butcher this compared to Mark, and hopefully I won't you know, end up contradicting anything that he taught. I, I don't think there's an opportunity really to do that but uh, in, this, in this chapter. But I started reading, okay? And the Lord really just directed my thoughts as I was putting this together. But let's start in verse 3, okay? This is the, the, the Old Testament background. Okay, to what John said he was. They asked him all these questions. No, 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 no. Well, who are you then? And he says, this is who I am. Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now usually that's kind of where we would stop in referring to John, and referring to his preparing the way for the Messiah. But continue down through verse 11. The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? Okay, this is still referring to that voice crying in the wilderness. And this is really neat. All flesh 
is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the as of the flower of the field. The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings. Interestingly enough, this is where my mind goes, okay? What does gospel mean? Good news. Good news, good tidings, okay? We basically have a Hebrew equivalent of our English word gospel mentioned in this verse. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. This is amazing. Say unto the cities of Judah, what are those next three words? Behold your God. How can you be, I mean, where else in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, are you told to behold God? I mean, like literally. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. As I mentioned earlier, the invisible creator, the invisible God, became flesh for us to be able to see with our own eyes the Father. You know, the Son who's in the bosom of the Father hath declared him unto us. Um, and interestingly enough, what are John's words when he sees Jesus come? Behold, the Lamb of God. Okay, this is it. Um, amazing. Okay. Behold, the Lord God, which is really neat because it's one of the few times in Scripture, if you have a lowercase L-O-R-D, but a capital G-O-D, okay, that's Jehovah Elohim. That's, you know, the Lord God, and that only appears, I don't know, it's not as common for sure. It's, it's unique when it appears. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. Now, there's another passage in Isaiah, and I didn't want to go all into this because you guys have all heard it and probably described better than I could teach. There's another passage that talks about salvation, that God brings salvation. And it talks about the salvation. It says, behold, his, let me get the wording right here, his reward is with him and his work before him. Same phrase used, talking about salvation. Salvation there isn't an abstract idea. Salvation there is a person, okay? You see the word salvation in the Hebrew scriptures. There's different spellings and variant spellings, but it's Yeshua, okay? It's the name of Jesus. Um, this is no doubt what it's talking about here. In verse 11, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. What is Jesus called? The great shepherd, okay? He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and he shall gently lead those that are with young. When you read all of this stuff, okay, just kind of for a second, take a step back from all of your scriptural knowledge of really the gospel and Old Testament prophecy, Messianic prophecy, and just look at this with a fresh set of, set of eyes. Yes? Which verse are you on there? Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Okay. Yep. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Well, I think my, my mind immediately goes to Isaiah 53. Behold, who shall the arm you know, of the Lord be revealed? 
to whom shall the arm of the Lord be revealed? Uh, in just, I think, the previous chapter, I think it's Isaiah 52. It may be a couple of chapters back. Um, but it talks about the arm of the Lord just immediately preceding Isaiah 53. And it's directly connected with the Lord obtaining salvation for us by his strong and mighty arm. Okay. Um, from what I understand, at least in Isaiah for sure, yes. The arm of the Lord is, is absolutely an, an, an idiom or a metaphor for the Messiah. Um, but what I was going to say, uh, and that, this goes right along with what uh, Jonathan was saying there, that um, if we look at this with a fresh set of eyes, okay, we talk about one preparing the way of the Lord. Okay? And then we talk about um, you know, this voice that's crying, is crying to Jerusalem to behold your God. And then it says, Behold, the Lord will come. The Lord God will come. Okay, so like, if you think about the Lord of you know, Moses' day, who led the children of Israel through the wilderness, in a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, his presence was in the temple at certain periods in time in history. The Shekinah glory was there. But other than that, I mean, the Lord coming, I mean, he's everywhere present. The Lord coming to a specific place for a specific reason and dwelling in a specific area is a very, very special thing. Um, I think about, here, let me, let me turn there. You keep your finger there in Isaiah. I'm going to turn over a couple of pages. I want to read you a, a verse. Oh, I'm just kind of, I got all kinds of verses flooding my mind here. Um, I'm going to read you a verse out of Zechariah, chapter number 4, I believe it is. I'm sorry. Chapter 14, yes. Chapter number 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. So on and so forth. And then verse 3, it says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet. It's obviously the Lord that's being talked about here. His feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives in that day, which is before Jerusalem on the east. We know this is talking about the Messiah, God in human flesh. But uh, to, to, to just look at this passage in Isaiah 40 with a fresh set of eyes and to see the fact that this one that's crying to prepare the way of the Lord, that salvation is coming, and that he even says, Behold your God. And then the next verse it says, God shall come. It must have been hard to understand that for people in Isaiah's day. Um, and that he, uh, his, his reward is with him, his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. Okay? Um, it's very picturesque, very amazing, uh, referring to our great shepherd. Okay? Uh, I was just listening to a message today. I heard some things about in uh, is it John 21, where Jesus is talking to Peter uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. He says, you know, do you love me? And he says, yes. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, you know. Uh, who, are, who are the sheep? Who are the lambs? Believers. Amazing, amazing. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. We, if we get the whole picture of who God is, okay, and throughout the book of Isaiah, and we've been reading in Ezekiel, 
I mean, uh, God is holy and just and full of wrath against sin that's righteous. And it's a, he's a dreadful and fearful God. I mean, he's such a great and powerful and mighty God who is far beyond our imagination and stretch of, of, of what holiness even is. He's so pure. And yet at the same time, he left heaven to come to earth to die for our sins. And he is the one that is described here gathering the lambs with his arm and carrying them in his bosom and gently leading them that are young. Um, unbelievable. Um, just, you know, sometimes we read the scripture and we just are blown away. And it's good. It's horrible for us to just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. We need to look at it with a fresh set of eyes. We need to get our perspective adjusted. When we read about this kind of stuff, um, I've heard somewhere somebody said that uh, familiarity uh, short circuits worship. Meaning, if we're so entirely familiar with something, we aren't awestruck like we should be. We aren't worshipful toward the Lord like we should be. We aren't ascribing him worth. We're just saying, okay, yeah, I've heard this before. But when we realize how great he is, how black and, and, and hopeless the picture of our sin is, and just how he says, come now, let us reason together. That your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Um, it makes it all the more amazing when we look at it in context. And so this is John. Now are you ready for my rabbit trail? Okay, all right. Um, automatically, I went on to verse 12. I would want to say that that was a bad idea, but it, I don't think it was. I think it was uh, the Lord was leading me in that. And we're going to go through the rest of the chapter quickly here, but we're going to learn some amazing things about God. I don't know what you're dealing with, what you've been dealing with in your life, but I've been going through a lot of different things, and the Lord has really helped me, and I want us to learn some things here about the Lord. Verse number 12, okay, within the same chapter that we get the prophecy about the one that would prepare the way of the Lord, we find this amazing, amazing description of who God is and how it should affect our lives. Yes, yep, Isaiah chapter number 40, verse 12. The first thing that we see in verses 12 through 14, and I, I'm allowed to do this, right? Because Mark does it sometimes, <laughs> I guess. Um, Isaiah chapter number 40, verse number 12. We see some questions of God's identity, some questions about God. It says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Now we can just read these and kind of see that they're just, you know, words describing God. And it's kind of like, okay, we think of somebody that has maybe brown hair, light complexion, you know, 5'5". Five five. It's just normal description. But these things just, uh, they just, yeah, they're amazing things about God to kind of wake us up and get us to realize that God is far above us. That's called transcendence. He far transcends anything that we can think of in our power, in our imagination, um, you know, in righteousness, in holiness, in, in creativity, in creation, um, in love, okay, in all of those things, in holiness. And this is just showing his power. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Um, listen to this, okay? I just looked this up because I figured, hey, you know, we want to see this for what it is and give God the glory. There's a whole lot of water on the earth, okay? 
and from our perspective, this is what's here. Something like, and I don't even know what that number is, 326 million trillion gallons of water. Can you imagine 326 million trillion gallons? And that's just what they kind of guess, okay, of the stuff. And, you know, you can double that amount and you get liters. Can be found on our planet. This water is in a constant cycle. It evaporates from the ocean, travels through the air, rains down on the land, and then flows back into the ocean. Okay, evaporation and condensation, all that type of stuff. It says, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? What's the hollow of your hand? Well, it's the hollow of your hand. Okay, that is how great God is. I mean, you know, if I even try and hold this in my hand, I have a hard time without it falling over. All the water of the entire planet, okay, and beyond, okay, all the water that's in existence, all the water that's in that cycle of, is it gas, is it solid, I don't know, all of it. He's not only held it in his hand, but says, measured it, okay, comprehended exact amount. That's almost as difficult as numbering the hairs on our head. Some of us, like me, have a running count. <laughs> so God keeps track of all those things, okay? Now, why, do we, why are we taking a minute to focus on how much water is in the world and the fact that God can hold it in his hand? If he can hold all that water in his hand and measure it and know it and comprehend it, don't you think he can deal with your problem that you dealt with this afternoon? Don't you think he can deal with your health difficulty? Okay? Don't you think he can deal with your relationship problems, give you guidance and wisdom? He knows the future. He's already been there. It helps us sometimes to look at the Lord in order to get a right perspective on our own life. We get so messed up by focusing on all of our circumstances and what's going on and how we're in control and everything is going wrong and we need to fix it. Okay, that's the kind of person I am. I like to have everything lined up, you know, all my ducks in a row, 15, 17 steps ahead, so I can have this thing all planned out. And, you know, God just likes to shake that up once in a while to get me back on track to look at him instead and just be like, okay, I'll trust you. Okay, what did Jesus say? He said, if you look unto me, come unto me, you'll find rest for your soul, okay? Not only are we going to obtain eternal salvation, forgiveness of sins, but he's going to help us in our day-to-day -day life. On top of that, he said, take no thought for your life or for the next day or for what you shall eat or drink or wear. Uh, God knows you have need of all those things. After all those things did the Gentiles seek, okay? Um, meaning those that don't know God as their Savior or aren't trusting in him. Um, amazing. Okay, now listen to this. And meted out heaven with the span. Okay, um, I got a note there. This is just the, the Hebrew span, okay? It's a measurement, an uh, 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 instrument of measurement, nine inches, okay, roughly. I guess like a cubit is the 18 inches, you know, from the tip of your finger to, you know, a span is, you know, the width of your, your fingers, okay? And it says he meted out heaven or measured out heaven with the span. This is just to get us to get out of our mode of thinking about ourselves or putting God in a box and realizing how big he is. If he can deal with all these things, can he take care of Israel? If he can deal with all these things, can he help, can he, can, can he, Take care of what's going on in our country. Can you take care of the transgender bathroom problem? Okay? That is nothing to God. Um, and we need not be concerned. You know, the, sometimes we like to uh, 
at least in, 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 you know, in our circles, worrying is out of the question. We don't do that because that's wrong. That's a sin. But we get concerned. And that's okay. <laughs> it's the same thing, yes. And, you know, uh, that, that is a concerning thought. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll uh we'll come we'll come back to the uh the idea of, 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 of bathroom uh urinals and the you know we'll come back to that in a minute because I'm gonna touch on some things here that uh will help us have a better perspective on even those things. Um okay. Verse thirteen. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor, hath taught him. Verse 14. With whom took he counsel? And you're right, Tom, this reminds me a lot of the book of Job. With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge? And showed to him the way of understanding? Like when the Lord is talking to Job. He says, were you there when I laid the foundations for this? Were you there when the, you know, all the heavenly hosts you know, sang for glory? Were you there when all of this happened? Who was there before all of this was? Okay? Yes. God. Jesus. Yes. And that was it. For eternity past. As far back as you can go. There was nobody teaching him. There was nobody being his instructor. And I know this is kind of a silly thought, but it's in Scripture in order to get us to think, to realize God had no counselor. God had no instructor. He is the Almighty. He is the self-existent one. He is the highest. He is amazing. And we need to realize that. And all these things that we deal with, as the old song says, will grow strangely dim. We won't worry about it as much. We won't get you know, shaken up um, about all these things as often. Um, there is no one like him, verses 15 through 25. I love these next verses. Verse 15. Behold the nations, and by the way, that's the Hebrew word goyim, okay? The Gentiles, the nations, are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. The nations are as a drop of a bucket. Now, when we think about our world, we think about the turmoil, we think about Europe, we think about the Middle East, we think about things going on in our own country, all these things just going haywire. What are we going to do? God is in control. It's a drop in his bucket. Absolutely. You ever had a drop in a bucket? Like, literally, have you ever had a drop in a bucket? Maybe, like, your ceiling was leaking. I don't know, maybe that's something to, to worry about. But the, but the drop, you don't worry about the drop, okay? It's nothing. It doesn't bother you. All of the nations of this entire world are a drop in a bucket to God. Um, ISIS, the election, Obamacare, okay? Nothing, nothing. It's nothing to God. Um... Verse 16, 
and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Now this is kind of silly, <clears throat> but listen to this, okay? God is so worthy of anything and everything that we can give him, okay? Grace is not grace if we can pay it back or if we have to pay it back. But out of our love and adoration for the Lord, out of our gratitude, we worship him, okay? We don't say, okay, you helped me through this thing, now I'm going to try and pay it back by being real good. I mean, that's, that's a legalistic you know, mindset. Um, that's not at all grace. Grace is not grace if you can earn it or pay it back. Um, but here it says Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. How many of you have seen Lebanon before? Okay. If you, if you, from the fence, if you've been to Israel, okay, you can see where the green stops and the brown starts, and oh, that's Lebanon. Um, as far as the, the hills uh, bordering Israel. Um, Lebanon is slightly smaller than Connecticut. Okay, so think of Connecticut. I am horrible at geography. Okay, I'm like the exact opposite. I'm like Bizarro Keith McGilligan <laughs> when it comes when it comes to geography. Um, but anyway, Lebanon, Connecticut, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Okay, all of those trees, God says it's not sufficient to burn for a, for a burnt offering. Neither are the beasts of the field of Lebanon. Um, they're not, they're, they're, not, they're not sufficient, not enough. There's nothing that we can do to ascribe God his full worth. That is how great he is. That is how immense he is. That is how worthy he is. And then in verse number 17, and this is, this is, this is probably my favorite verse in this whole chapter. It echoes verse 15. All nations before him are as nothing. Now what is that word again? Nothing. And then it says, and they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. Is less than nothing something that we can even grasp? Well, that's what God thinks of this whole entire shebang. It's, it doesn't bother him. It doesn't get him out of sorts. Uh, somebody once said that, has it occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Okay, nothing, nothing catches him by surprise. Nothing makes him say, oh, whoops, I didn't see that coming. You're going to have to deal with that one on your own. It doesn't happen. Oh, you know, we shouldn't have said that ISIS was the JV team, and now they're going to rule the world. God doesn't think like that, okay? God isn't, you know, shocked by anything. God is not, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um... He's not shook up by anything, okay? And neither should we be if we're trusting in him. If we get to the point where we're kind of anxious, okay? If we get to the point where we're, um, you know, fretting about something, then that's a symptom showing that we're not trusting in him fully. If we are trusting in him fully, we should have the same perspective. Well, you know, all these things could normally bother me or be a problem to me or be a difficulty or be something that would cause me to worry and fret and be concerned, but it's nothing to God. In fact, it's less than nothing. I'm trusting in him, and that's all. Now, I'll tell you, I don't know how many times I've read these verses looking for comfort and strength, because if we try and go tomorrow on yesterday's devotion, it's not going to fly. 
We need to constantly be trusting in him. We need to constantly be searching his, his word and communing with him and fellowshipping with him in order to gain strength. Any discussion or comments? I figured I'd just give an opportunity there in case I'm monopolizing <laughs> the Bible study. Okay. All right, so the affairs of men are vanity to the Lord. Look at verse 18. Oh, yes, please do. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when I was young, I um, I was in another hospital until I was five. I was too premature. I had all kinds of medical difficulties. I had a thing when I was like four and a half years old, where I almost died. Um, I was told that. I was told like a year ago, I didn't know that until a year ago, that basically the chances of me surviving when I was four in the hospital, I remember all this, but the chances of me surviving was one in ten. And I didn't hear that until like a year ago. Anyway, when I was in the hospital, my parents would come and visit, um, you know, when they could. They would sleep there when they could. You know, they had two other kids to take care of. But when my mom and dad were there, either one, okay, when my dad was there, and he was, you know, sleeping on the couch next to, or whatever the chair was next to the hospital bed. I was fine. I was completely carefree. I had the faith of a child, basically, that my dad is here, I'm, I'm fine, you know. And you can just sleep, you know, your head hits the pillow without a care in the world, even though you're tied up to all kinds of machines. And that is kind of a poor analogy, but an analogy nonetheless of our Father caring for us. And he says, what is the Holy Spirit called? What's another name for the Holy Spirit? The Comforter. And it says, he shall be with you and shall be in you. And, uh, you know, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption. And we can be content. In the book of James it says, uh, I believe, no, it's Hebrews. Be content wherewith uh, what things you have, for he hath said, I, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so, uh, and I mentioned this before, I think, but I just love this one passage in the book of Psalms where it talks about the Lord and it says, For he shall be our guide even unto death. Okay? In our darkest moment, he's going to walk us through the door. He is never going to leave us. Um, and so, with that being said, along with what Yvonne said, we should be able to be carefree. Shannon, you talked about in the hospital when there's no one as parents will know your father was going into that, that thing, that okay. Mm. Um, when my grandchildren are up on the deck or something and they want manic depression, and I hold out my arms and they jump. Yeah. 
put out of play. Yeah. We know that I'm going to trust him. Yep. And that's the way we should be about Christ. We know that he's going to catch us every time. I mean, I'm, that's not the right word. But he's going to be there for us and uh, protect us and not let us. Amen. Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we need to abandon ourselves to him. You know, um, when you think of those kids, you know, I've had many kids jump into my arms, and they don't do it carefully, do they? <laughs> They're not worried about you catching them if they jump too hard or too fast or too high. Um, and that's how we should be with the Lord. You know, we should just trust him with whatever we're facing. Um, okay, verse number, let's see. All right, verse number 18. To whom then will you liken God? Okay, with all that in mind. To whom will you liken him? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and casteth silver chains. He... He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? Um, you know, God is just so far beyond anything that we can fathom, and people try and make an image or an idol. Um, do you remember what Keith said? I think it was the last Bible study that, that, that he taught about the woman that he met in the airplane uh, to Japan or, or China, was it? And uh, she was a short little lady, and she was trying to put a box. Am I repeating this? Do you guys remember? Okay. All right. Well, good. <laughs> um, she was trying to put this box into the overhead compartment, okay? And she's just struggling to reach it. And Keith said, oh, can I help you with that? And uh, she said, oh, okay, thank you. You know, so he took it, and he just kind of like, you know, like we do. You know, you just toss it in there. She said, oh, be careful. And he was going to, you know, think that when, when he told the story, I was thinking that there was like a pet in there that she had snuck on or something, you know, a little cat or puppy in there. She said, my God is in there. Yeah. She said, that's my God. Be careful. You might break him. You know, seriously. And he said he had a hard time uh, with that one, yes. You can't liken our God to anybody, okay? Um, I think, let me, let me turn over to another passage. And you can stay there in Isaiah. I'm just going to turn to this passage in the book of uh, Daniel. I just read... Um, you know, the name of God in, in, in parts of Daniel isn't used because it's written in the language of the Chaldeans. Okay, Parts of Daniel are written in Aramaic. And instead of using the Hebrew name of God, different phrases are used to describe who God is in contrast to all the gods of the Babylonians. Okay, And the phrase that's used, let's see here. Um... The king of heaven, okay? The king of heaven is used um, to describe God that is above and transcends anything and everything, you know? He's not Neku or 
um, you know, these different gods of the Babylonians. He's not Baal, okay? Um, he is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the I am. Um, you can't liken him to anybody or any god. Um, and then mankind is insignificant in view of God. Uh, verses 22 through 25. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. And that word vanity, anywhere you see vanity, it's the same word that's used for the word shadow, okay? Or, um, you know, like man is created in the image of God, or um, Adam uh, brought forth after his likeness, okay, with, with his children. Um, the idea is kind of like a, you know, a shadow, okay? Um, and it sometimes it's translated with the idea of vanity. Um, he, you look at God and all those things that would normally concern us are all of a sudden nothing, you know? Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Um, God is beyond anything that we can come up with with our own mind. Now this is interesting, and this is just a side note here. The idea, he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Yes, absolutely. And something else that's interesting, the other times in the scripture, there's two other times that this Hebrew word circle is used, and both of them um, in, uh, refer to um, the circuit of the earth, okay, and at one point it's translated with the idea of a compass, okay, and there's always movement suggested. So there's, there's multiple different interpretations of what this um, verse can mean. Um, there is no Hebrew word for ball or sphere in the entire Hebrew scriptures. There's a modern word, but it's never used in the scriptures. So could this be that it's describing the earth as a sphere? Absolutely. But also, and this is something that I, that I recently realize that with the two other mentionings of this word in the Hebrew, having the idea of the circuit of the earth, okay, and the, uh, the compass um, of the deep, I think it's in maybe the book of Job, uh, has the idea of movement. And it may have the, the stress of not just God sitting upon the globe, but sitting upon the whole entire solar system, okay, uh, with the, rotation, the, the orbit, which is something even far more, you know, out of the minds of, you know, what's going on beyond our, beyond our skies. Um, God is far above and beyond. He transcends all of that. Okay, now, in verses, uh, end of the chapter here, verse 26 through, through 31, we see a call to action. So we see all these things about God, about who he is, and just like in the first half of Isaiah 40, uh, where he's preparing the way of the Lord. He's telling Jerusalem to, to lift up their voice with strength and be not afraid. Uh, say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God, he is here. In the same way, the end of chapter 40, after seeing all these things about who God is, gives us a call to action, okay? An application, a response. In light of all these things that we learn about God, 
And this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Look at verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? The first thing we need to do is lift up our eyes and behold his greatness. And you may have already been doing that and just looking at these passages and saying, Lord, you know, I've been living in such a way that I have forgotten how great you are. I've been fretting. I've been worrying. I've been struggling with trusting you in different areas. But we need to lift up our eyes to him, okay, take it off all of our circumstances and different things that we may be going, going through or things in our world. And behold God's greatness. Didn't he say, be still and know that I am God? I have to remember that. I have to constantly remind myself of that verse. Where God's just saying, just be still. Okay? Actually, right before it, it says, cease striving. Amen, brother. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 37. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. I have to remind myself of that all the time. Um, we don't need to worry about those things, okay? God has it all in control. And then, you know what? Just a couple of verses later, it says, maybe even in the same verse, it says, cease from anger. So, you know, when I read that the other day, it was like, wow, God is not only telling me not to worry, you see, don't get all miffed about it. Don't get angry about it. Cease from anger. Um, you know, we can have a righteous, a righteous indignation but if we're just burning inside and feeling that bitterness and that worry and that fear and that turmoil, that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to trust him. Huh. Okay. That's really neat. I've never heard that before. That's really neat. Thank you for that. Uh, I would certainly agree. Um, so we need to lift up our eyes, behold his greatness. And then secondly, we need to realize our openness before him. We already read verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Uh, there's a, a passage in, in the Psalms, I believe it is, um, where those that do wickedness say, God's not going to see it. You know, he's going to miss this one. I'll be fine. I'll get away with it. Um, God doesn't want us to think that way because guess what? He sees everything. He knows everything. He sees the wrong. He sees the injustice. He sees the hurt. He sees the tears. Um, he knows all of these things. And, you know, to take it beyond that, in the New Testament, it says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Um, whatever we've gone through, whatever we will go through, Jesus has encountered it. Jesus has gone through it. He can uh, be touched, so to speak, with the feeling of our infirmities because he's been there. 
um, yet without sin. So he shows us the perfect way to get through it. Um, okay. In verse 28, it heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding. You know, it's easy as human beings to get weary of different things, you know. I mean, we can get weary of the political season. We can get weary of difficulty, uh, you name it, um, relational, financial, um, just different things that we encounter in our lives, physical. We can get weary of those things, you know. Lord, when is this, when is this going to have some kind of reprieve? When, you know, and we, and we tend to get just so spent, you know, so weary, um, which is where this chapter is going, giving us an answer for that. So here, after looking through all of these verses, we find a verse that says, God will interact with you. This God, who is far above and beyond anything that we can fathom. All the nations of the world are a drop in the bucket. In fact, they're nothing. Wait, no, even more. They're less than nothing. That same God can give you strength. That same God can give you get through what you're going through. Um, I've just got a couple of verses here about trusting in his might. Okay, Three verses. First of all, he saved us. And I love this verse. This is a great verse for eternal security. Um, the fact that we will never lose our salvation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, John 5, 24, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life in the present. Okay? Hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, future, but is past, past tense, but is past from death unto life. When we get salvation, it's past, present, and future. How do you lose that if it's guaranteed for you shall not come into condemnation? Oh, wait, I forgot. If you do this certain thing, you'll lose your salvation. Um, that's, not, that's not scriptural. And this verse alone puts it in a nice little nugget that we're saved past, present, and future. Um, or the moment that you're saved, you are passed from death unto life, meaning you're not going to go back to it. I think this is something we could say to a Roman Catholic. He says, if any, any man hear my word, any man, mm. and then his word says, call a man on earth to a father, yeah. the one who's a father who's in heaven and all his other. Yep, yep. So he saved us. Do you remember that day? Whenever it was, you remember it? Okay. We would do well to remember every once in a while, probably more often than we do, remember that day. Remember when he saved you. Remember the darkness that you were translated out of into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. Uh, remember what it was like to be fearful, to have no hope, to have no assurance of salvation, to not know where you're going to go when you die, to not know what's going to happen tomorrow, and to, and to feel alone. And all that changed when Christ came in and you accepted him as your savior. He saved us. Secondly, he sealed us. I mentioned this verse earlier, I think that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after ye heard of the 
and to the praise of his glory. He saved us, he sealed us, and to go right along with that, he will keep us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. You know you have reservations waiting for you? By the way, that reminds me. If anybody has questions about the Passover, okay, uh, if you would like to attend, you haven't purchased tickets yet, talk to me afterward and we'll work something out. But we have reservations already in heaven. They're paid for. You're not going to lose them. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We're not kept by our works. We're not kept by our willpower. We're not kept by our own strength. The Bible says we're kept by the Spirit of God. We're kept by the power of God. We're sealed by His Spirit. So if He did all of those things, okay, like in verse 29, it says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, He increases strength. He is there to get you through. Okay? He told the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. It's not, okay, your own reasoning or your willpower or your logic or your solutions are going to be sufficient for you to deal with that thorn in your flesh. No. He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. So it's entirely outside of us, which is hard to do if you're a control freak. We need to let go and trust in the Lord. Um, and then lastly, and this is the context of this very, very popular verse. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. I'll leave you with um, a definition of weight that I obtained from an Orthodox rabbi. And this is interesting, but I think it's really good. When we think of waiting, in general, okay, I've been, a lot of, I've been in a lot of hospital and doctor's office waiting rooms lately. When we wait on the Lord, okay, think about this. When we wait on the Lord, we are not just, okay, waiting on the Lord. Let me, um, you know, take my, look at my bank account, pay some bills, you know, I'm waiting on the Lord just waiting for him to come through. That's not what it is, okay? And um, this rabbi, at least from the, the Hebrew perspective of the idea of waiting, and I thought this was, this was great. To wait on the Lord is to earnestly focus your hope toward God. It's not a passive thing. Waiting is something that's active, okay? It's not necessarily quote-unquote, putting feet to your prayers, okay? Although sometimes God wants us to step out by faith and do that. I mean, the journey across the Red Sea began with a step. Somebody had to take the first step on that dry ground. God provided the way. He just was waiting for somebody to go through. But an idea in the realm of waiting upon the Lord, okay, it has the idea of you're focusing your hope in the Lord, okay? It's an active thing. Like, for instance... I'm dealing with this, and I didn't plan on talking about this, but I'm dealing with this pancreatitis thing, okay? 
And it can be something that's mild, that happens once in a while, that's somewhat bothersome. Or it can become chronic, and you can die from it. So, you know, as a human, automatically, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I don't know if I told you this, um, and I hope he's not watching right now, but um, when, I, when I was first dealing with these different issues and instances of having these stomach problems, you know, and not knowing what was going to happen, I was thinking about, you remember uh, hearing about Brother Dan Morell? Uh, he was here for the staff conference a number of years ago. He started having stomach pain, and nine days later, he died. He had colon cancer. So that was fresh in my mind when all this is going on. I call my dad to tell him what's going on, and you know what he says? He says, do you have life insurance? <laughs> now, remember what I said before about having my parents in the hospital you know, room with me and the comfort that my dad brought by just being there and that everything is going to be okay? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but there's, there's times with, you know, fill in the blank with whatever you're dealing with or have dealt with that um, if I'm just waiting on the Lord, like I'm waiting on Dr. So-and-so, okay, we're going to be hopeless. We're going to be just in, in, in a rut. We're not going to have strength. We're going to be fainting. We're going to be weary. We're going to be falling, just like this passage says. But they that wait upon the Lord, and the, and, and the idea is... I'm, I'm, I'm ready for him to do something, and I'm trusting that what he is going to do is going to be right and good and the best thing for me and the best thing for the glory of Christ. Um, and it's something that you have to constantly do. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm going on a limb here, uh, Brother Bird, if I'm right or not. But is focusing with your eyes something that's, it takes muscles to be able to do that, right? It's kind of hard to do. Um, in fact, my son, my seven-year-old, uh, he had some issues with his eyes, and he had to actually be given something to relax the muscles in his, in his eyes so that he couldn't focus, so he couldn't try and fool the, uh, you know, the eye exam station to get a correct uh, you know, prescription for what lenses he needed because he was trying so hard, his eyes were trying to correct or compensate for the lack of focus. Um, so focusing isn't easy. Focusing takes effort. When we think of waiting, we just think, okay, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> you know, That's not what it's talking about, waiting on the Lord. And if we are actively trusting in him, guess what our mind is not going to be doing? Worrying, fearing, fretting, being concerned. If we're just kind of waiting on the Lord, we'll just, you know, our mind automatically goes towards worrying. Well, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about that? Oh, this is just horrible. What's going to happen with our country? You know, um, all those different things. So, anyway. Yes, yes. It's. I can. Okay. Okay. To bind together, perhaps by twisting, 
to expect, to gather together, to look patiently, tarry, or wait for. Yep. Kava. Yeah. Well, amen. Thank you for that. Okay. But for, for for trust, not for not for weight, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. No, that's that's absolutely. Yeah, we need to do that. We need to trust the Lord. We need to wait upon Him. Um, that's good. And you know that would that would. Um, it's not translated here as waiting for God, but they that wait for God. It's they that wait upon the Lord. And that would make sense with what you were saying. Alan, about uh, binding yourself to, uh, to twist together. Yeah. You're cleaving, you're cleaving to the Lord. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say. I, I, I know some, some people that used to say something like, that dog will hunt, you know, that'll preach. <laughs> anyway. So, needless to say, whatever you are planning on worrying about after Bible study, you should change your plans, okay? <laughs> and have a more restful, relaxing night as we are actively trusting in the Lord and just waiting upon Him with whatever it might be. Uh, any more comments or discussion before we close in a word of prayer? And by the way, Okay, I needed this message just as much as you all, if not more, okay? And sometimes the Lord works that way. He helps us. Oh, praise the Lord. Yes. And anybody that says that they don't, and anybody that says that they don't need that uh, probably has a different problem, you know? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. I've heard something like that before, but I was drawing a blank when you were saying that. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God, yeah. Well, amen. April Fool's Day. We need to get some of those bumper stickers. Okay, all right, well, I'll go ahead and close in a word of prayer, and then we'll be done. <coughs> Lord, thank you so much that we don't serve a God... Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.